Nick Smith is one of the big dogs of Australian publishing. A former editor-in-chief of GQ Australia, that role expanded to director of News Corp's entire prestige and lifestyle portfolio. Indeed, most of Nick's career has been spent in the News Corp orbit. After a stint in the UK, he returned to Australia in 2021 to join its content agency, Medium Rare, where he soon became managing director when founders Jerry Reynolds and Sally Wright moved on. Medium Rare still operates independently of its parent company, sharing space with sister agency, content player, Storiation. So Storiation just celebrated its 10th anniversary and is a good place to start. Nick, welcome. Let's start maybe if you can just explain the two different offerings of Medium Rare and Storiation. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, obviously we're celebrating Storiation's uh, 10th birthday. So actually it's probably one of the OGs of content agencies in Australia. I think, you know, founders uh, Mimi and Lauren, um, who we purchased the agency off in 2000. This is Mimi Cullen and Lauren Quaintance. Yes, Mimi, uh, Mimi Cullen and Lauren Quaintance, yeah. We purchased the agency um, from them in 2019 and uh, they moved out of the business last year. Um, obviously, you know, when you, you've got a, a portfolio of agencies such as Medium Rare suddenly and, and Storiation now uh, at News, obviously the benefit is, is market coverage. So you can talk to different competitive clients. Um, but I, I guess the main, I guess, difference between Medium Rare and, and Storiation is really the business model and the structure. So um, as you know, so Medium Rare works with some of the, the big iconic uh, organisations in Australia and we build teams specifically for those brands. So they almost become a, a content team, which is an extension of the marketing team with any given brand, say Qantas, Coles, Officeworks, Bunnings. And Storiation, it's more of a traditional, I guess, agency structure where there's a a fantastic team of um, content strategists, account managers, uh, content um, authors, um, multimedia producers, which can work across uh, a number of brands at the same time. So it means really that, um, I guess, bringing storiation into the fold, we can talk to a lot more brands and also, uh, I guess, to different, um, you know, size budgets and, and length of, I guess, um, tenure with each brand as well. Yeah, and it's interesting. Yeah, what you say about Medium Rare because I suppose it's it it what 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 it does is what I suppose fifteen years ago we would have called custom publishing. Yes, don't say that anymore. You can't. <laughs> no, and that's the funny thing. Although it, it, you know, and I get, I, 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 I guess you know, one of the kind of admirable things about about the business really is is just how much of that market it captured as it made that transition to the new to the the new world beyond just print. Yeah, I, I must say, look, our founders. Um, um, Jerry Reynolds and Sally Wright, who, uh, you know, <laughs> which has been a big job for me the last year, they moved at the same time as, as Mimi and Lauren out of the business. So uh, taking on, I guess, the brands of Storiation and Medium Rare. Look, I, I did see, um, you know, I, I did work with Jerry and Sally in the early days as a, as a board member uh, on Medium Rare when um, we first launched uh, in 2015 um, with a JV with News Corp just saw the connection that they had, I guess, with organisations. So, the, you know, the early days it was Coles and it was David Jones and then Qantas. Um, I think having um, 
that kind of tangible asset to start with within, I guess, a content ecosystem such as a magazine, which is so loved, um, like Coles or or the Qantas magazine. Uh, it almost became the anchor when, uh, I guess, digital transformation came about where we could build audiences on social and digital. So um, having a team that was, you know, say, for example, on Qantas, building inspiration content out of that incredible magazine. But then as we realised that, you know, um, inspiration online or, you know, through podcasts or through social was important, that they were able to sort of harness their relationships to get more work with each client. Yeah, and I suppose the, for me, I guess the the ultimate example of the 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 power to a brand of that sort of product was the way that Qantas used its magazine as keeping its connection with its customers and its audience when it wasn't flying. You know, I I just remember I um, used to receive you know, once a, once a month, the magazine, when it used to arrive in the post. And it really felt like a tangible connection. Yeah. Uh, the, the wonderful thing about, I guess, that Qantas magazine is it's, it's so engaged. So, you know, when people are on the plane, yeah, you might have your phone or you might be watching something. But actually, if you think about it, even on a trip to Melbourne or to Launceston, you probably pick that magazine up about six times <laughs> and you kind of have one peek through and a flick. And then you, by the end of it, you've kind of got six things um, within, that, um, within that print product. So, for example, we would say that actually because you've got such an engaged audience sitting down, print is still really relevant for that brand. And obviously it becomes, I guess, a bit of a beacon when people either walk into the lounge or onto the plane, they know that I guess that Qantas brand is in their hand. Well, you, um, you've, you've, you've touched on it already, so I might come, at, come, come to it a bit sooner than I was thinking of. Um, yeah, you've touched on the fact that Jerry Reynolds and Sally Wright, who were the founders of uh, Medium Rare, um, have uh, have now sold out as founders do when they sell you know so they they've moved on and the same with storiation how has that transition gone for you because as you say that's two sets of founders um and it's not always easy keeping the sort of the thread running um how has the process been uh hey listen it's been a very interesting year like a very successful year um but obviously, when you've got two agencies, you know, one might be going at full throttle and the other one needs a bit of a, you know, a boost. Um, thankfully, you know, in terms of medium rare, I've, I've got a great partner that I work with, which is Fiorella DeSanto, who, you know, I've worked with for many years at News. Obviously, she's incredible in terms of, I guess, building commercial sales teams and, and running big organisations, obviously being a publisher at Bauer. So Fiona so, was at News Corp and then she went to Bauer and then came yeah. across. Yeah, and then she joined Medium Rare before I came back from overseas. So she's incredible in terms of obviously driving, I, I guess, our commercial side of the business, but also from an operational um, side. Um, it's good to have, I guess, a partner that you, you can actually talk through with strategies. And then really, um, you know, with storiation, uh, uh, Andres, who's the general manager, has been with the brand for many years. He is a savant in terms of content marketing. So he's worked with, um, you know, agencies such as One Green Bean, then worked in client side with Australian Tourism, and he had worked with Lauren and Mimi. So it made sense that, you know, we elevated him to the GM 
um, role and almost um, sort of mirrored the the leadership of medium rare. So with me and Fiorella, we brought in Simone Aquilina, who we've also known for many years from a, a commercial point of view to drive the pipeline for storiation. So while the business models are, are quite different between the two agencies, you know, having Andres and Simone there, they've done wonders taking on, I guess, the baton from uh, Lauren and Mimi. Um, we've had, you know, one of the best years ever in that transition. So while it was, you know, it was a it was a handful taking on, I guess, four um, founder positions um, in that first year. Uh, I think it actually worked out for the best. And um, both both of the agencies are you, you, they're both in the same building and on the same floor. I think um, are they culturally becoming one organization then or 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 is there a left-hand side of the room and a right-hand side of the room (laughs) there is there is literally a divide so storiation have their own entrance uh they have their own neon sign um and they do retain their own culture so obviously they benefit from some of the support that um, we give them from hr and you know um, finance team, et cetera. Um, but really, we really want to retain that essence of, of them um, because um, they also do things very differently. So we haven't kind of um, tried to standardise the way we approach content strategy or response to clients between the two agencies. Um, Andres came up with, you know, a very specific DNA for storiation, which is something called content demand research. So um, once you start talking to storiation uh, in terms of, you know, why you're doing content and what is it going to do for your brand, he sets up a benchmarking system which can really um, help brands turn the dial quite quickly. So with Medium Rare, you know, we like to do content strategy and, and do it well for six months and, and then set you up for the long term, you know, with um, some of the shorter term clients or, or the smaller clients. Andres really gets in there and says, you know, from day one, you can start changing what you need to do through content. And and I think what is nice, what I've seen is that that sort of notion of content agencies, which were 10 years ago, hey, we love telling stories and we can tell stories for you too. It's changed to be actually um, content strategy and, and content for brands is about building engaged audiences across their own channels. And the way they do that is through delivering content, right? Well, I think you've, you've started to answer the next question, which I was going to ask is where you see the evolution of content marketing going. Look, at and look originally, um, you know, I was looking at some of our positioning statements for, uh, the agencies over the years and, you know, originally Medium Rare was to help brands become publishers. And in some sense, even though we've gone through, I guess, you know, um, the evolution to content marketing, so in terms of direct marketing or, or helping brands in that consideration phase um, of the consumer journey by having, you know, uh, actionable content on their website or, or on social, um, we've almost come full circle to say, well, actually, if a brand does become a publisher, they are really about engaging their audience on their own channels through their own content and growing that audience. Um, I think um, like sort of content that we do now is almost like threefold. So yes, it's actually to deliver a campaign message, which perhaps advertising can't do. So content is about um, showing or telling the consumer something where advertising is about selling it. Um, so there's that um, there's that attribute of content, but then the secondly is then 
um, you know, brands, you know, want to grow their own audiences. So it's actually more effective when they're doing broadcast media as well as their own channel, um, I, I guess, content. So the larger the audience, the more effective they're going to be. And then thirdly, it's the commercialization uh, of that audience. So obviously what we do with some of the brands like Qantas, Coles, Officeworks, um, you know, there's the advent of retail media. So that content ecosystem has become even more powerful because um, every, I think every, you know, second media story that I see out there is about retail media. So it's actually been um, a fantastic, perfect storm for us, to be honest, because um, we can offer all those three things. Yeah, that's interesting. How are you thinking about retail media then? Yeah, so um, we do it for um, the way we interact in a, in a number of ways um, with brands. So obviously, um, with a with a brand like say Qantas, um, we're kind of a full service. So you know, we run the magazine and we run the um, Travel Insider website and their socials. So we have a sales team that will commercialize that audience for Qantas. So makes um, either the cost of content cost neutral or it actually can drive, you know, profit for the brand in that way, which they can invest back into content or into marketing, um, which is the case with Qantas. Obviously, uh, with something like Coles, with the behemoth of Coles magazine, um, 360 is set up and they're doing very well. So we are there as, I guess, um, an implementation team and to come up with the creative ideas uh, that their suppliers or their advertisers can execute within some of the publishing assets. So we work as a support part department for them. Um, and then other, you know, and other, other, other um, ways we're partnering with brands. So with DJs, um, we've can't become the, the third party sales representation for Amplify. So they'll sell to their suppliers where we'll talk to um, you know, travel or auto clients which are interested in the David Jones premium audience. Interesting. Yeah, and I hadn't really thought about it until you're running through those brands. Basically, it's all of the people who are doing interesting things in retail media are all of the people who are also um, clients for Medium Rare as well. <laughs> That's nice, isn't it? Thank you for that. But I think it's, I think it's also, um, it, you know, Yes, then, you know, for example, DJs has amazing window shop fronts and, you know, digital screens in store. Uh, but obviously, there's also that tangible asset within that sort of content ecosystem, which is the magazine and the catalogs uh, and the digital creative that we do for them. So uh, as, as, um, as they have rebuilt their kind of supplier funding model, that those content assets have become important into Amplify. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your own career path. Um, you um, you started out as a marketer before you came into the content world. Um, what what that 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 was a ACP? What was yeah. then became Baron is now our media. Um, what um what made you make that move into editorial quite early in your career? Oh my gosh, this is kind of a funny story. I um. I was doing um, business and communications at UTS and I answered in the old, this is before they had the internet. So we're going back away now, but, you know, when you pulled the tags off, you know, would you like to come and intern at Australia's biggest, you know, communications <laughs> company? I ended up in the research department at ACP um, while I was working through uni and I, I, um, I was just in awe there, right? But I remember this is, 
I must have been very young and very stupid and very <laughs> arrogant. But I remember my research manager, who's very well known in the magazine industry, Miriam Condon, saying, oh, can you go and um, present this starch research to um, Nini King, who I didn't really know <laughs> who she was at the time. Um, Absolute magazine editing icon. Yes, exactly. I do know that now. So I remember um, this starch research was a, a, a piece of research which went through every page of the Australian Woman's Weekly um, and gave each um, page a score. So as well as scoring, I guess, the visibility and the awareness of the ads within the magazine, it also gave the editorial scores. So, um, you know, I guess not knowing the full um, commercial beast, which was the Australian Women's Weekly, I think I went up to Nini and said, you know, these beauty pages really aren't working for the readership. <laughs> Because the scores weren't doing so well. So I remember it was on the 12th floor at ACP. I think she literally grabbed the report out of my hands, opened the window and threw it out. And she, oh, I was, I was, I'd nearly died. And then, and then anyway, so she told me to get out. But then the next day I was seconded up to the Women's Weekly Marketing Department. So I'd obviously showed some kind of nous or courage or stupidity. <laughs> Uh, and then, so my early days were in, um, my early days were, yeah, in the marketing departments for these amazing mass women's brands. So I remember on Woman's Day, I was booking 30 second spots with Zenith in, in Friends and, you know, making sure that it was running or I'd get a call from Nini saying, where's the ad? Um, but I think, you think those kind of, um, you know, and then I went on to work closely with Neil Whitaker, who was um, at FPC magazines. And that's, he, he was the editorial director there, and so he's become a, a great mentor and um, he gave me my first gig um, in the editorial. So, you know, um, I kind of realised in publishing that actually the marketing um, managers in those days didn't really make any decisions. It was the editors, so I thought, I want to be an editor, and so I moved into that editorial side. That's interesting. And and to divert slightly, it's interesting what you say about Neil Whitaker. Um yeah, how do you think about mentors in the industry? Is it is it is it still as important to developing people's careers now? Do you think as it ever was? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I was pr probably in those halcyon days of magazine publishing, and we've all had to, you know, drastically change um, what we do. And look, I I had the best support over. I guess my now 26 years career and often, you know, in those early days, it was from formidable women like Nene King or, you know, Deborah Thomas um, and then going on to people like Neil Whittaker. Um, and then, you know, um, recently, I, I guess, um, over the last 10 years, of it, not really more um, like a... Um, like mentoring for myself, but also just the support of just incredible talent, like, you know, Kerry McCallum over at News, um, Fiorella, who's here. Um, and then recently, as um, News Corp has, has invested more into the commercial content side of stuff, um, you know, people like Mike Conahan, who's had such an incredible, in, um, you know, experience in um, the creative advertising industry has got as many stories as I do. Um, well, let's, yeah, let's talk about that. I, I was going to ask about Mike a bit later, but this is a good moment then. So um, Mike was the, the 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 boss of STW before he sort of came across to news and he's sort of building up, I suppose, the agency arm of News Corp. So that also includes visual domain as well. How How are you working with Mike? 
So yeah, so my um, yeah, he's he's my direct boss, um, and you know he's got a, a varied role. So he's obviously still looks after some of the publishing networks, such as the food network, the health network, and the travel network. So Fiona Nielsen, who's also sort of been a peer of mine uh, in the industry, reports into him, and then also also Mike um, does run that commercial content function. Um, so probably about three years ago, they they realised that. There was so many employees at News, um, you know, doing commercial content, either advertorials or native content or what we were doing over here. And also, smartly, you know, News Corp saw um, the growth of content marketing as an industry, not just overseas, but in Australia. So they really formalised, I guess, the structure within News for us to really start to grow. So um, as well as having medium rare and storiation, um, there's suddenly, um, which, you know, does work for um, the good guys and obviously runs the house of wellness for Chemist Warehouse. This was the one set up by Simon Smith, am I right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So... Um, so we've got three content agencies, which I guess are probably the most independent of, of the group. Um, and then Visual Domain, uh, who was doing a lot of video production for news. So it made sense for us to um, invest in a video production house, which, you know, they've got an incredible network of videographers all over Australia, um, you know, great systems and processes. So it was great that um, I think what we're really trying to do is, I guess, build strategic nows in the agencies, but then also deep expertise too. So, um, you know, having a video arm, which is, can be progressive in terms of moving into AI, et cetera, uh, really makes sense. And um, sticking with your, your your own career direction for a little bit longer. So you, you I guess, really began to develop an understanding of magazine brands I'm guessing during your time leading GQ because to me that was always a name that was so much bigger than its actual circulation it was just a a huge celebrated name around the world yet the number of people you'll actually capture going into a, a news agents and physically buying a copy is not as large as its influence yes yeah right um I think um you know, particularly for GQs, like, oh, guy, when I was the editor, I, it was almost, um, again, I seemed to be in the right place at the right time. So this was back in, I think, 2007, 2008, and you had the likes of, um, you know, men wanting to be, aspire to men. So not just, you know, a, a girl in a bikini-clad photo on the cover, but, you know, they wanted to aspire to be a Hugh Jackman or a David Beckham. So, again... Um, you know, we made the decision on GQ to, you know, actually make it for Australian men. But there was a deep kind of, um, there was a deep kind of um, sort of mission to help sort of young, sort of ambitious Australians become successful gentlemen. So it was almost taking that marketing or brand point of view, particularly here in Australia, to, you know, what GQ meant. And then so once we sort of def defined that as, you know, what is our role is that, you know, um, you know, GQ, we want people to be, you know, be smart, to be funny, be the best person, you know, the person that you want to invite to, to a dinner party. We started to see that actually it could live outside the magazine. And you're right, like the readership was far bigger than the circulation ever was um, because, you know, the most people that would buy, you know, GQ were often, you know, when they were on a plane going to, to travel somewhere and, and pick up a magazine. But... 
um, digitally, once we moved into digital, we just understood that actually, you know, guys weren't talking to their mates at a barbecue saying, what haircut are you going to get this week? <laughs> you know, we found actually this SEO audience of people asking questions, particularly young guys are like, actually, how do I live in the world? So, you know, it's got a much larger digital footprint than it did back then. But as you're right, having that kind of brand essence of, you know, um, creating an atmosphere and environment which celebrated, you know, guys that were giving back to society or to, to you know, to to younger to me, younger men, melt meant that we could build platforms like Men of the Year. Um, yes, I was going to ask about Men of Men of the Year because that that felt like such an as a sort of awards process that felt really, I guess, important to the brand, but also commercially important as well. I I presume that attracted a lot of sort of. Uh, across the year, a lot of the sponsorship was anchored around that. Yeah, and and um, I think we, you know, I obviously work closely alongside Edwina um, McCann um, on Vogue. So, you know, I, again, like we're at the early, when we both took over those brands, it was the early advent of um, social media audiences. So, you know, both brands, um, you know, went to the top in terms of Facebook followers and Instagram followers, et cetera. So, um, Almost that what we're doing in content marketing, it was, it was building an audience that you could then mobilize. So, you know, for example, on Vogue, you know, Ed with her team built this incredible Facebook audience that then they could just drive into the city um, to go to Vogue Fashions Night Out, which obviously, you know, attracted a lot of sponsorship as well and drove a lot of retail dollars for the economy. And then likewise with GQ, because we were getting a really specific um, audience which luxury brands wanted, um, other platforms such as GQ Men of the Year and then later on the Gentleman's Ball in, in Melbourne, uh, like, yeah, brought in a lot of luxury advertiser coins. Now, um, uh, you, you, you stayed with the wider News Corp family and uh, had a trip overseas for a while. Um, Group CEO Bureau, based yeah. in London, 2018 to 2021. Um, I must admit, I don't know as much about Bureau. So what, what was the vision for it? What, what happened to it? Yeah, so, um, so Bureau was, I guess, um, a millennial brand, which is digital only, um, similar to, I guess, like a Vogue and a Harper's, but um, at the time when luxury was booming, created, um, I guess, a digital footprint for luxury advertisers to buy into. Um, um, and it was also led by an influencer, a major influencer in Eastern Europe and, and Russia called Miroslava Duma. So we had launched it in Australia and had it in the, the prestige portfolio. Um, and we'd done such a good job that... Um, you know, a couple of months later, sort of Mira asked me to sort of, you know, move to, to London and, and launch it there. And almost, um, you know, you probably wouldn't have known of the footprint of it at the time, but it was in a lot of the Eastern European countries. It was in Mexico and it was in Southeast Asia. So um, all sides, you know, sort of said that, you know, with investment and, um, you know, the right audience, a more millennial audience than um, I guess the other traditional publishers are reaching that it was um, set up for success. So for the first year, it was very successful, but then COVID hit, right? So, and that was at the time um, when, uh, you know, um, um, luxury consumers were still going in store to, re to really buy. So once those doors shut, it was an advertiser model. So, you know, we had to halt, you know, had to halt the sort of strategic priorities for it. So unfortunately, it was a bit of a, um, yeah, it was a, 
uh, yeah, it was kind of um, halted by the COVID phenomenon. So um, that brought me back to Australia, which which was good, really. In yeah, which 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 brought you back into to News Corp. Um, something again, I was thinking about, and you you sort of alluded to it with the fact that sort of you know, I guess the organisation does 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 own the the three content agencies. Um, is it important for the group? Do you think that they all carry on having their own cultures and personalities? Is is that the reason why you're in Paymont and most of the rest of the business is over at Holt Street in Surrey Hills? Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, it's um, it's really important actually. So if we go back to storiation, um, you know, we kind of want them to be, I, I guess, you know, you know, the nimble. Um, um, fast-moving agency that they are and that, that fits their model. So if we, they get a new client, they can kind of action it very quickly. Um, it's very important for me, obviously, coming from, you know, the brand world that it has a distinct voice. Um, and the same with Medium Rare. You know, we work for clients directly. We don't go through the sales team and we don't go through a media agency. So we have direct relationships. Um, and our job is to um, provide client to their own audiences on their own channels. So while we do have this incredible support of News Corp, so, um, and I'll talk about, you know, how we can tap into that in a minute, it's very important that we have our own DNA of the agencies and, you know, um, location does help. So while we do, you know, use the HWT Tower um, offices in Melbourne um, for medium rare, it, it is great to have, you know, your own space. And, and obviously Piemont is a, um, it's a great agency village. So we've got, you know, nice um, neighbours, if you like. And um, how do you tap into the new the news court for the wider support then? Yeah, so obviously um, there's other partners which we can tap into, such as Visual Domain. Um, there's also a, a, a pooled commercial content pool. So if we do need overflow for um, existing partners, we can tap into incredible talent there in terms of design, digital design, creative direction, um, authoring content, etc. Also, um, you know, there is a powerful um, network of news. So if I look at one of the examples on Suddenly, for example, um, so the good guys, um, a very um, big partner of news in terms of advertising, um, Suddenly runs their content. So, um, you know, content is now as powerful as advertising really in, in delivering a message. So the content that we create for the good guys is amplified through the news network to be able to deliver audience. That's also um, good if there's a new client who feels that they're a little bit behind the eight ball in building their own audience. So we can kind of give them, I guess, permission to invest by saying, listen, you know, start now, start digitally or socially, etc. And actually, we can get your eyeballs by, you know, driving the audience from news and, and really in a targeted way to deliver, you know, ROI on content. And Nick, a final question. We ask everybody this who joins us on the Unmade podcast. What would your critics say about you and what would your supporters say about you? Wow, this is a tough question. Does everyone get stumped on this? Um I think probably I'm pretty competitive, to be honest. So that's maybe, you know, might come across as nice, but <laughs> could be a bit of a, a smiling assassin in terms of, you know, winning. And that's um, maybe that's probably where I've been critiqued over the years. Maybe uh, I know I've, I've worked with a lot of people in the industry, so you may have more intel on this than me, to be honest. Um, on the good side, I think... 
Um, you know, I think I have had a lot of different leadership experience, which has brought me to this point. I couldn't have done this role five years ago. Like I was, you know, I was very embedded in that publishing world and that advertising um, relationship with clients, which is so different to what we do here. So um, I think probably I'm more rounded now um, and perhaps, you know, um, Definitely, yes, we put our clients first, but also driving the culture here across Story Asia Media Rare and, and now suddenly is really what I, I am proud of and I hope um, my supporters sort of see. Um, and look, it's, 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 it's having return. Like, you know, the culture that we're building here is the engagement's really high. We've just been awarded a great place to work, which, are, you know, are symbolic things, but, um, you know, an agency can be tough, right? Like it's, we have evolved this from being a custom publishing agency to being, you know, almost full service in what we do. So it does come with those sort of tropes of an agency of, you know, a lot of work with not enough people, et cetera. So to be able to show the support to our staff while we keep growing, because we have to hopefully um, seen as a, as, a, as a good leader. Good place to end. Nick, thank you so much for your time. Lovely to spend time with you. Today's podcast was produced with the enthusiastic assistance of Abe's Audio. We'll be back with more soon. Toodle pep. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.